to the Red Light Report. Your number one source for all things red light therapy. Where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey there, guys. <laughs> Welcome back. Here we are on a Another solo sode of the Red Light Report. Appreciate all you guys joining me today. Here's a little factoid for you guys. Did you know that red light therapy can help enhance your vitamin C levels? There's some really interesting research that just came out on April 1st, which equals April Fools. Of course, red light therapy doesn't help with vitamin C levels. Um, <laughs> I had to get that in there. I know it's not April 1st today, but it was just a couple days ago, so I had to get you guys a little bit. But on the topic of vitamin C, it was National Vitamin C Day on April 4th. National Vitamin C Day. I think this was started a handful of years ago as a marketing ploy for some sort of skincare company to, to promote vitamin C. But regardless, I thought I might as well share some fun information about vitamin C, even though it doesn't have anything to do directly with light per se. But let's go to the gentleman who discovered vitamin C. His name is Albert Zent Georgi, a Hungarian biochemist. He was the one that discovered vitamin C and rutin, which is vitamin P. The role of these vitamins in the body and their application to dermatology, of course, is vast. Vitamin C for, for skin care is huge. For the discovery of vitamin C and the description of oxidation, Albert St. Georgi, or Georgi received a Nobel Prize in medicine in 1937, so a couple years ago, and he discovered also the role of adenosine triphosphate, which should ring a bell because... That's what ATP stands for. So in a way, he has a critical role with the energy currency of the mitochondria. Along with ATP, he discovered actin-myosin, which is the cross bridge that makes muscle contraction possible. And he also discovered many phases of the Krebs cycle and also initiated studies on the influence of free radicals in the formation of tumors. And of course, free radical production is considered one of the main catalysts of aging. The vast majority of free radicals are produced in the mitochondria normally, so that's not a bad thing. It's just when that free radical production becomes excessive to the point that the, the mitochondria can't keep up with the excess free radicals and as far as being able to repair and regenerate themselves, and that's when they become dysfunctional. So in a way, this, this Albert St. Georgi, this Hungarian biochemist, had some integral roles relative to even what we're talking about with red light therapy in the mitochondria, both with his discovery of the ATP and free radicals and their, their influence on tumors. So pretty interesting stuff. But he also has some really interesting quotes that I want to go over. I just looked him up briefly on Google, but I mean, this guy was very deep into to the health and sciences realm. So it looks like there's four, there, there, yeah, there's four quick quotes here. And so let's just quickly go over them. The first one is, a vitamin is a substance that makes you ill if you don't eat it. Meaning if you have a deficiency in a vitamin, it will make you sick. So especially with his role in vitamin C, if you're deficient in vitamin C, potentially some amino deficiency or, you know, compromising your immune system. An interesting way of saying that. 
Okay, so the next three quotes especially all tie together, even though they're separate quotes, and they have to do with energy. So the first quote on energy is, a living cell requires energy not only for all its functions, but also for the maintenance of its structure, which of course makes sense. And that's why I think Dr. Doug Wallace is a huge advocate for the more energy a cell has, the more healthy you're going to be. And on the flip side, the less energy a cell has, the quicker it's going to age and the quicker to death that cell is. Albert Zent-Georgi is saying the same thing, just in a different way. The second quote on energy is, the source of this energy is the sun's radiation. That's all the quote is. I don't know what context it's in. But the quote is, the source of this energy is the sun's radiation. And really within the overarching theme of this podcast, I mean, I think that rings pretty darn true. I think we're all fans of full spectrum sunlight when we're deficient in that, being able to utilize red light therapy as appropriate. But our cells need energy and the sun's radiation is one of the main sources. And then the third quote from Albert on energy Without energy, life would be extinguished instantaneously, and the cellular fabric would collapse. So really, just kind of saying similar things, but different. Without energy, life would be extinguished instantaneously. So some people like to compare, if something is animate or animated, it has energy. If it is an inanimate object, it possesses no energy. And so to Albert's point, if energy were to be extinguished from this planet, life would be gone spontaneously or instantaneously. So, of course, energy plays a crucial role in life. Sun plays a massive role in recharging everyone's battery and the mitochondria specifically for for energy. So this guy was very in tune. And again, most of his research was done in the early to mid-1900s, so he was well well ahead of his time. But keeping along with the theme of National Vitamin C Day, uh, let's just go over some, you know, some quick hits on vitamin C just to refresh everyone's memory. Vitamin C contributes to immune defense by supporting various aspects of both adaptive and innate immunity. Vitamin C is a potent yet often overlooked antioxidant that promotes healthy mitochondria, which requires high levels of vitamin C to support a healthy antioxidant status and redox balance. Just a quick reminder of some of the information we had last episode about astaxanthin. And actually, astaxanthin has a far superior antioxidant role, even compared to vitamin C. But still, very important to have for other reasons as well, because vitamin C also protects against oxidative stress and epithelial barrier function. On top of that, levels of vitamin C drop sharply during times of stress, which makes sense. Vitamin C reduces the incidence and severity of viral infections like the common cold. Vitamin C aids the formation of collagen, which is why it's so popular with skin products and skin health. Vitamin C supports the absorption of iron. Vitamin C maintains healthy cartilage, bones, and teeth. And in test studies, vitamin C has been shown to slow the progression of cancer and even kill cancer cells. So vitamin C has a lot of important roles as it relates to health and wellness and and longevity. It's important to remember, vitamin C levels can drop during periods of stress. So get to know your body 
and adjust your supplementation around that. Albert Svent Yorgi was extremely bullish on hyperdosing with oranges on a daily basis. And I think his general recommendation was upwards of like 20 to 40 oranges a day. That's how much he was in love with vitamin C. But when it comes to supplementing and dosing, the new research relative to supplements prefers liposomal vitamin C with a dose of one to two grams as far as prophylactic or preventative measures. During times when immune challenges are particularly prominent, IV vitamin C is definitely the way to go. In that case, it's recommended to do about 30 to 50 grams twice a week. Uh, If you're looking to maintain your vitamin C naturally, these are the foods that should be in your kitchen. Oranges, grapefruit, clementines, tangerines, bell peppers, bok choy, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, strawberries, pineapples, kiwis, cauliflower, dark leafy greens, and cabbage. Salute to Vitamin C, uh, National Vitamin C Day. There's your information. Hope that was somewhat useful and interesting. Let's move on to the topic at hand on the Red Light Report, which is Red Light, and allow me to report on it for you. We have three relatively interesting research articles that I'll go over, and they're all within the last month or two, so very, very recent the colloquial hot-off-the-press information. The first one is going to be on tendon health or tendon repair and what light can do for that. The second one will have to do with Bell's palsy and how red light therapy can help with that potentially. And the last one is a systematic review with a meta-analysis on red light therapy compared to TENS and therapeutic ultrasound for TMD or temporomandibular joint disorder. People with TMD or TMJ pain will want to listen to that one for sure. But let's move on to the first one at hand. It's called the functions and mechanisms of low level laser therapy in tendon repair. And this is a review. Uh, This is from February 15th, 2022. At the time of this recording, less than two months ago. And just a quick reminder, low level laser therapy is synonymous with red light therapy. Of course, it's using lasers, but as I've mentioned several times over various podcasts, the top photobiomodulation researcher in the world, Dr. Michael Hamblin out of Harvard, has said that based on his thorough examination of the research, that laser and LED light lead to comparable results with LED lights being much cheaper and safer. So even though we're going over low-level laser therapy research, it's still applicable for those individuals who are using devices that utilize LED lights, just like the BioLight devices do. They're cheaper, they're safer, they lead to the same results. Let's dig into some tendon information, because I think darn near everyone can relate to this, and I used to be a bigger runner than I am now, Uh, When I was in PT school, and during the long winters here, don't do much running for exercise. I do play pickup basketball, and then I do some stationary bike for cardio. But I haven't done running for exercise for quite some time. And I started doing that last week as, as the weather got nicer. And the side of my hip, right where the greater trochanter is over that gluten medius, if you're familiar with that muscle, that is achy, even as I stand here recording this podcast. 
And I bring that up because that, that greater trochanter area, that's a tendon that goes over that bone that can get quite sore. So here we are reporting on tendon health. I should be throwing some near infrared light on my hip, which I will do after this episode. Did you guys know that it's teeth whitening season? Well, heck, isn't it always teeth whitening season? Who doesn't want to have the widest, brightest smile in the room? And not just that, but also receive the benefits of red light therapy for the oral cavity at the same time. My company, BioLight, just released our newest product called the Guardian Plus, which implements both blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but also the red and near infrared light for the red light therapy aspect for your oral cavity. We're all familiar with blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but did you know the blue light therapy is also beneficial for selectively killing harmful bacteria, leaving the beneficial bacteria thriving and well, and blue light therapy is also good for gum health and tooth sensitivity. And of course, we know the laundry list of things that red light therapy does for the oral cavity, such as gum health and gum pain, infections and inflammation, wound healing, gingivitis, oral mucositis, so on and so forth. So with the Guardian Plus, you get the best of both worlds. And as my devout favorite podcast listeners in the world, I'm giving you guys an exclusive 20% discount on the Guardian Plus for the month of April only. So go ahead and use coupon code BLUELIGHTPODCAST to get 20% off your Guardian Plus. That's through the month of April in 2022. You can get 20% off. Go ahead and use coupon code BLUELIGHTPODCAST to whiten your teeth and improve the health of your oral microbiome. But speaking of tendon health, It is generally thought that the primary cause of tendon injury is overuse, which not only alters the tendon structure, but also causes many negative reactions such as tendon swelling, irregular collagen arrangement, and an increase in pathological molecules. And so speaking towards that irregular collagen arrangement, in a healthy tendon, all of the fibers would be aligned. They would all be parallel. But when a tendon becomes overused or it's taken on more stress than it's used to, which in this case, like with my running, well, I've been running for quite some time. I mean, we're talking a year, a couple years. And so me running last week, that's a different stress. That's an increased stress than my hip is used to. So now it's kind of barking at me. And so the point being, again, healthy tendons, the, the fibers are aligned, they're parallel. But when it becomes overstressed and overburdened, those fibers actually become like pixie sticks when you throw them on the ground and they get scattered all over the place. That's literally what it looks like. The fibers are just all over the place. Some are perpendicular, some are sideways, some are parallel, but again, they're all over the place. And that's a pathological tendon. In order to heal that tendon, you'll see over time, whether it's through exercise or different type of modalities, which we'll talk about, those fibers will literally go from that pixie stick all over the place kind of state to that parallel, nice looking alignment of fibers and that that's a healthy tendon but moving along here currently tendon injuries are treated with a comprehensive range of treatments which include conservative treatments such as ultrasound shockwave platelet-rich plasma and low-level laser therapy also surgery and specific exercises to help with rehabilitation which is where i would have come in with physical therapy help realign the body and and, uh, strengthen appropriate muscles. Over the past decade, low-level laser therapy use has been increasingly examined in many clinical studies. It has been used to treat tendon injuries with excellent results in tendon repair. So some conclusions and perspectives from this article, uh, they go on to say that tendon injury is a series of muscular imbalances caused by muscle 
overstrain, or poor treatment at the beginning of the disease. Overloading can lead to partial tearing of the tendon initially, and tendon tears are often accompanied by some inflammation and degeneration of the tendon. If not treated in a timely fashion, it will cause structural imbalance and tendon tears, and other consequences. It is essentially an unsuccessful healing process primarily because the inflammatory response destroys the probability of damage repair and is accompanied by several biological changes. The word that keeps coming up there is inflammation. Inflammation. One of the top things that red light therapy is known for is that it's anti-inflammatory. So wherever there's inflammation, red light therapy has a very large potential role to play. I just did a quick Google search just to see what Google would say. The four most common tendon injuries are quadriceps tendon, and I would also throw in patellar tendon. Quadriceps is above the kneecap. Tendon is just below the kneecap. You have the Achilles tendon, and that's actually one of my worst nightmares or worst fears is rupturing my Achilles tendon. I don't know why. I'd rather tear something else, but just not my Achilles, please. That is a thick, large tendon, and to rupture that takes a lot of power and would render you in a lot of pain. So I'll, I'll bypass that uh, for, for something else, please. Uh, but the other two are the rotator cuff, so up in the shoulder, of course, and the biceps. And I would also throw in tennis elbow. People who do a lot of gripping, whether it's gardening or, or literally tennis or racket sports, those tendons up at the elbow there on the side, those can get really painful. And if those are chronic, those can be really difficult to heal. So those are the four most common, according to Google, quadriceps, Achilles, rotator cuff, and biceps. Uh, many studies have shown that low-level laser therapy has a significant effect on tendon repair by firstly activating cytochrome C oxidase and thus carrying out the photon absorption process. So just a quick reminder, if you are deficient in red and near-infrared light, then your cytochrome C oxidase will not be activated. And that's essentially not a great thing because it leads to a less efficient ATP production process in the mitochondria. You're not allowing as many electrons to go through the electron transport chain, thus less ATP. So again, relative to the tendon healing process, they are citing the activation of cytochrome C oxidase as one of the major variables relative to low-level laser therapy. Secondly, acting in all three phases of tendon repair, and finally, improving tendon recovery. And we'll get into those three phases here shortly. The repair mechanisms of LLLT are different in the three phases of tendon repair. In the inflammatory phase, LLLT mainly activates a large number of VEGF, or vascular endothelial growth factors, which are huge for vascularity and blood flow, and promotes angiogenesis under hypoxia. And angiogenesis would be the formation of blood vessels, and thus, thus better circulation as well. During the proliferation phase, LLLT increases the amount of collagen type 3 by promoting the proliferation of fibroblasts. So, of course, red light therapy is phenomenal for being pro-collagen, pro-fibroblast, pro-elastin, all those things that are amazing for skin. But, of course, tendons are mainly collagen. So, of course, red light therapy would seemingly have a role in tendon repair if it's so good at being pro-collagen. 
Throughout the remodeling phase, LLLT mainly activates M2 macrophages and downregulates inflammatory factors, thus reducing inflammatory responses. However, it should also be noted that in the final phase of tendon repair, the use of LLLT causes excessive upregulation of some growth factors, which will lead to tendon fibrosis. So that's not a good thing. Tendon fibrosis is meaning fibrotic or stiff. So again, they're saying that in the final phase of tendon repair, LLLT causes excessive upregulation of some growth factors leading to tendon fibrosis. So that's the one caveat, it seems, that you'd want to use red light therapy during the first two phases, which would be during the inflammatory phase and the proliferation phase, and then discontinue it during the third and final phase so that you don't lead to this tendon fibrosis occurring. But moving on. In summary, we need to further investigate the functions and mechanisms of LLLT in the treatment of tendon injury and to clarify the nature of LLLT for the treatment of diverse tendon injury diseases. And that's a lot of LLLTs. But regardless, some pretty good information. Again, this came out less than two months ago. So most of the information here is very positive. But it's good to know that you don't want or need red light therapy during that third and final stage, healing stage of tendon repair. So use it for the inflammatory. Use it for the proliferative phase, which is basically the first couple of weeks. Of course, depends on, on the severity of your tendon injury. But during that third phase... When all is well and you're basically on the home stretch, you no longer need or want red light therapy in lieu of getting tendon fibrosis. And again, to the researcher's point, more research needs to come out to further delineate you know, appropriate treatment parameters and protocols and, and things of that nature. So I'll be really interested as, as the months and, and the year, year and years go on, uh, what kind of research we get in the tendon pathology or tendon injury region of, of red light therapy, because I think there's a lot of roles to play, whether it's, uh, you know, post minor tendon injury, whether it's post tendon repair from surgery, so on and so forth. I think it can be used in darn near every incidence as it relates to tendon injury. Moving on to the second piece of research here, and keep in mind, these two pieces of research I'm about to talk about are so new, they're not even a month old, so I wasn't able to get anything other than the abstract. So it's going to be kind of cut and dry from what I could get from the abstracts. But regardless, some great information and unique information on red light therapy and its potential. And so this one has to do with Bell's palsy. It came out on March 8th of 2022. And the title is A Study on the Effect of 850 Nanometer Low-Level Diode laser versus electrical stimulation in facial nerve regeneration for patients with Bell's palsy. Succinct titles are not the name of the game for, <laughs> for researchers, but regardless, uh, it explains what it's about. 850 nanometers, that's near infrared. Low-level diode laser, of course, comparable results to LED. And the facial nerve is the nerve that gets irritated or provoked when we're talking about Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy is an acute facial paralysis with unclear etiology or unclear of why it happens uh, that results in weakness of facial muscles or even paralysis on one side of the face. And so Bell's palsy occurs when the facial nerve becomes swollen or compressed. And of course, that would be from inflammation, swelling when you have too much liquid in one area 
and there's not much area for that liquid to move in, it's going to compress on things. And in this case, it's going to compress on that facial nerve, which can lead to that muscle weakness or even that complete droop of the face because you have paralysis. Of course, the exact cause of this nerve damage is unknown, but many medical researchers believe it's most likely triggered by a viral infection. But again, some people believe it can be another inflammatory response or even stress-induced. But moving on to the methods of this article. It's a randomized, single-blind, controlled study that was conducted on 45 patients with Bell's palsy who were randomly divided into three equal groups. Two groups received either low-level laser therapy or electrical stimulation, both in conjunction to medications, massage, and facial exercise treatment. So pretty comprehensive approach, and they were just comparing LLLT versus electrical stimulation. The third group was treated with medication, massage, and facial exercise. So they didn't get low-level laser therapy or electrical stimulation. And the results of this study, the primary outcome was the improvement of nerve conduction velocity of the facial nerve, while the secondary outcome was the change of Sunnybrook facial grading system, which is some sort of objective measuring system, just like a pain scale. Um, and nerve conduction velocity, you want that basically as quick as possible because nerves travel at a fast pace. And if the nerve conduction is slowed or completely lost, that's telling you that there's some impingement, some, uh, some pathology going along that path of the nerve. And so they were going to compare uh, basically, which treatment allows the nerve conduction velocity to be normalized to its high, high speed. And so the outcome measures were evaluated pre and post treatment. So both the nerve conduction velocity and the Sunnybrook facial grading system, both pre and post treatment. And there was a statistically significant difference between the three groups in favor of the LLLT group regarding the nerve action potential amplitude and latency, in addition to signs of nerve regeneration and improved Sunnybrook facial grading system. Conclusion. This short-term investigation revealed that LLLT proved to be more efficient than electrical stimulation in facial nerve regeneration for patients with Bell's palsy. So that conclusion's pretty strong. LLLT proved to be the most efficient, more efficient than electrical stimulation. Uh, that's pretty powerful because electrical stimulation for quite some time has been seen as one of the go-to treatments regarding Bell's palsy. And so for red light therapy to come in and be statistically significant is a pretty big deal. And so hopefully more people than just myself, specifically physicians who are, are treating patients with Bell's palsy, see this research and find a way to implement red light therapy, whether it's with a laser or an LED device, because the research is there. It, it's going to help that patient improve their symptoms faster. So pretty darn cool because uh, Bell's palsy, I've, I've also treated that as a physical therapist. Of course, my tool of choice was dry needling with some very light electrical stimulation. But with research like this, this came out March 8th of this year, I would have loved to have done the combination of, of red light therapy with, with some low level electrical stimulation and then couple that with some red light therapy. I really wish I would have known that. But of course, when I was treating patients with Bell's palsy, that was years ago before I started BioLite. So didn't even really know about it at that time. 
But that's what's cool about uh, seeing this type of research coming out is, man, there's just more and more and more conditions and diseases that red light therapy is being proven efficacious and effective for. And of course, the cherry on top is that it's safe and uh, affordable. It's better than being on drugs. It's better than going under the knife for surgery. So nothing new for the listeners here, but it's just cool to see that. But moving on to the third and final study relative to red light therapy, this one actually is from not even two weeks ago at the time of this recording. It's from March 22nd, 2022, and it's entitled Comparative Efficacy of LLLT to TENS, T-E-N-S, and Therapeutic Ultrasound in Management of TMDs or temporomandibular disorders, a systematic review and meta-analysis. The objective of this study, again, I don't have I don't have the full PDF, I only have the abstract here, so bear with me. But the objective of this study was to assess the reduction in pain, muscle tenderness, joint clicking, and improvement in mouth opening after LLLT compared to transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation or TENS and therapeutic ultrasound among temporomandibular joint disorder patients. And for those not familiar, TENS, again, T-E-N-S, the acronym TENS, is basically a form of electric stimulation where you put electrodes on your skin wherever you're having pain, and you get this sensation from the electrodes that are connected to a machine that basically creates this feeling or sensation that distracts your brain from the pain you're currently having, which if you're in pain, any type of relief is phenomenal. But the caveat to TENS is that when you turn the TENS off and you stop using it, the pain typically comes back because you haven't done anything to treat the root cause of the pain. All you've done is distract the nervous system from the pain. So again, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword where it's great for pain relief, but it doesn't solve the issue. So it's not going to give you long-term results. But again, in a pinch, it will help uh, reduce the pain. And so again, this study, it's comparing red light therapy, TENS, and ultrasound for patients dealing with TMD in the jaw. Uh, The methods, they did a systematic research of online sources of electronic databases, which is customary when doing a systematic review and meta-analysis. And so the results of this was that they had 12 randomized controlled trials that were included in the systematic review, and nine were included in the meta-analysis. So for the reduction in pain between low-level laser therapy and TENS, LLLT was found to be better than TENS. LLLT was also proven to be better in reducing pain than therapeutic ultrasound. And so the conclusion of the study, I mean, we're already at the conclusion, is that uh, they go on to say that this systematic review and meta-analysis compared the effectiveness of LLLT, TENS, and therapeutic ultrasound in TMD. LLLT provided relatively more effective pain relief and improvement in mouth opening. And that's the end of the abstract. And so kind of quick and to the point, but... Again, red light therapy seems to be superior relative to these two other highly popular treatment modalities in TENS in ultrasound. And I'll just let you guys in on a little secret. As a person that went through PT school, physical therapy school, ultrasound was laughed upon by the professors. It's outdated. It's outmoded for 
a vast majority of the conditions that physical therapists use ultrasound for. So my point being, and this isn't to knock on anyone or knock on uh, physical therapists, but if your physical therapist is using ultrasound for relieving pain or doing tendon healing, you might want to reconsider because that's outdated, outmoded. There's treatment modalities that are far superior that we know about based on the research. The fact that it's included in this article is interesting because it was, again, this was from two weeks ago. It's a popular modality, so it makes sense. And so is TENS for for pain relief. But again, as as I explained, it's a very short-term solution, not a long-term remedy. So to see that low-level laser therapy or that red light therapy is superior to TENS in ultrasound, in my mind, isn't groundbreaking, but it's great that the research is coming out because uh, now the research is proving definitively that uh, it is superior to these two modalities, which really don't treat the root cause. Uh, Again, TENS is the distraction. Ultrasound, what's the benefit, I guess is what I would ask, relative to, to pain. And we know that all types of pain can darn near benefit from red light therapy because of its anti-inflammatory, pro-circulatory, and mitochondrial boosting or cellular energy boosting properties. Uh, TENS doesn't have that. Ultrasound doesn't have that. Ultrasound may improve circulation because it does kind of warm the tissue, but you're not going to get those anti-inflammatory mitochondrial boosting properties of red light therapy. It makes sense that red light therapy is superior, but but cool to see that it's been included and compared to these more commonly utilized modalities because hopefully other practitioners are reading this. Hopefully other professors are reading this. And of course, it's not going to happen overnight, but the more of this type of research that comes out with more types of use cases, of course, red light therapy is going to become more and more popular and more heavily utilized, which it should because it's more efficacious, it's more effective, and and it holds the bar of being safe and cost effective. So those are the articles for today, kind of covering a lot of bases there with tendon repair, Bell's palsy being a nerve condition, and then TMD or, or jaw pain. So pretty interesting. But that's it for today, guys. Again, I hope you've found this information useful. If you have, please go ahead and leave a quick five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You don't even have to do a written testimonial. Just go leave this podcast a five-star review. That way more people can find this podcast and hopefully find this information as useful and beneficial as you have. So as always, you guys have a fantastic week and light up your health. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.